Welcome back, beloved listeners, to our podcast. This is Octavia's Parables. We are reading Octavia E. Butler's classic novels, chapter by chapter. We are currently in Wild Seed on chapter nine. And the we, your co-hosts, are me, Adrian Marie Brown, and Toji Regan, the one and only. Do you have any announcements this week before we dive into content? Yeah, I always want to uplift that Parable is going on the road next year. Yes. And new dates being added. I'm not going to say now until they, they're ready for it to be said, but fair, fair. we're getting around. We're getting around a little bit. And um, I actually did a podcast with Debbie Millman. She has a podcast called I Design saw. Matters. <laughs> That's fancy stuff. It's so fancy. And yeah. her pat her podcast, I mean, we out here trying to do something, but her podcast has been on for 17 years. Yeah. Like before we all just jumped on the podcast bandwagon. Like, I actually know what this is. This She's like, is. I, I actually have thousands of <laughs> podcasts, like a library is deep. She's awesome. brilliant. And um, I have never been so researched in my life, like by anybody. Wow. She was just like, and I remember that you said, and I was like, oh my God, she's wonderful. And it was That's really, awesome. really an honor to be there. So check that out on um, Design Matters. And um, uh, I think it's really cool. Okay. What That's about very you? Exciting. I think the thing that I'll announce right now, we just made kind of a social media post about it, but the Octavia E. Butler tarot deck. We were hoping to have it out this year, but there's been all kinds of little bits and slowdowns and having to figure out how to rearrange and how to be in relationship to the the resource, the resources moving through the world. <laughs> so the process mm -hmm. is a little slowed down. We made an announcement, but we're expecting the pre-order page to go up in January now. Nice. And to yeah, release it basically before the end of the winter. So I wanted to give people that update. It's still coming. It's absolutely stunning and gorgeous. We think it'll be worth the wait. We're just trying to mm. do everything in a, in a good way. But if you have energy to put towards it, you know, just extend energy towards opening the way, making it as easy as possible, making it, right. you know, just smooth, 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 smooth to come into the world. Um, you're all doulas with your imagination of having it in your hands. <laughs> so mm. help us. And then... I am finishing up the manuscript for Fables and Spells, which is my first collection of short stories and spells that'll be coming out in the kind of winter, spring. So I'm excited about that. You can start to Ooh. think about spells you need cast. So <laughs> those are things happening in my world. Yo, did you get to see the eclipse last night? So I... I didn't stay up and actually watch. I thought I was going to get up in the middle of the night and, and actually watch the eclipse, but I forgot to actually set the alarm for it. So I got to see before and after. You know, I got to spend time with the moon before and after, and I, I felt pretty mm. satisfied by that. I saw some good pictures from folks who really got to watch it. Did you? Yeah. No, it was pretty cloudy. Um, well, I was doing the same thing, and it was pretty cloudy, but then I woke up like, you know, for something. Oh, perfect. And then I was like, let me run. So yeah. I ran around, you know, I, I get a good view of the moon from my windows. And so I got to see like not oh. the 
you know, but I got to yeah. see. But the thing is, is when I looked out the window, I couldn't believe how many stars I saw. Yeah. Like I never yeah. see stars like that. The sky was really transformed. And, you know, I live in New York. So it's it's <laughs> like you don't be seeing the stars in the city the way, you know, you can out in the country. Come through New York. blowing. Literally, the, it's New York right there. New York right is like now. saying, hey, y'all, we here. We here, Brooklyn. So it was it was a thrill to see all of those stars and mm-hmm. then to see the the you know like kind of partial eclipse like heading heading out. So oh. I felt really really wonderful. And had I been had a little more energy, I would have gotten in the car and driven to the country. Like, yeah, go out and take. Yeah. I mean, that's what I imagined happening. But this time, the shadow season, the the eclipse season is heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mm-hmm. find my sleep is much heavier. I find my mm-hmm. dreams are much heavier, mm-hmm. and you know, it's going to be that way. This eclipse season is going to last for a while. So I'm like, you know, just be buckled in. Let's get it. (laughs) You know. Um, So take us into, this is another one of these chapters where it's just like, girl. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what sound y'all make, but girl is the one that I mean. Yeah. So Um, um, yeah, tell us, tell us what happens here, Toshi. This is deep, 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 deep. So, you know, Anweke is in transition and yeah. Doro is worried, but pretty useless. Like, he just got nothing for transition. And yeah. Isaac is uh, trying to save Anyamu's life. These are the the big, you know, points. But yeah. before we get into that, like, triangle of happenings, we get to hear, like, some details about how, how Doro got to be Doro. And, yeah. and Doro is uh, from a, a family, and his parents had a lot of kids and all of their kids died. Like they had like 11 kids. Yeah. Yeah, They had 12 altogether, but the first 11 died (sighs) and they were like beautiful kids and you know, everything. And then the last child is this scrawny little strange boy and he's the one that lives and everybody is like, you know, this is not an okay kid. Like something's up with him. Mm -hmm. Um, People want to kill him. They're like, you know, he already can like hear some voices and, and, but the parents love him. They love him unconditionally. They're so grateful for this one child. And these are the Nubian people. These are the, that's what they, they were, they come to be called, but they're not, that's not what they were called back, 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 right. back in the day. And so he, he's living his life with his parents and the, the community not liking him, but his parents' love is, is fierce and strong and deep. And so he's getting along until he turns 13 and he goes into transition. Yes. And when he goes into transition, like I say, he already can hear some voices and things like that. But when he goes into transition, it's off the charts, it's agony, it's painful, it's horrible. He doesn't understand it. There's there's nobody to really support him around and say, you know, you're just in transition, you know, don't worry about it. And his mom is holding him and he's he's so panicked and you know, fearful that he ends up taking his mom's body and he looks down and he can see himself and he's, his body has died. And then when he's like panicking around in his mom's body and he's looking down, he can see he has breasts. He doesn't understand that. His father is like trying to calm him down. Doesn't surely doesn't even know that it's him and touches him. And then he goes to his dad's body. And so just like that, he kills his parents. And then he panicked and uh, it reads in this once quiet Nile River village, he killed and killed and killed 
And finally, his people's enemies inadvertently rescued them. Um, Raiding Egyptians captured him as they attacked the village. By then, he was wearing the body of a young girl. Mm. So he gets captured, and that's how he stops him from, like, the killing rampage that he was surely doing out of panic. You know, he, he didn't know who he was or what he was. He didn't understand anything. He starts to, like, realize things about his kills, right? He starts to realize that some give him more pleasure than others. He starts to observe his own reactions. He he learns that age and race and sex and physical appearance and health didn't actually affect his enjoyment of victims. He, he could just take anyone. Yeah. Um, but what gave him the greatest pleasure was something he came to think of as witchcraft or a potential for witchcraft. And so he started to be on this journey of looking for his spiritual kin, the, the, yes. the, the strange folks that have a little something going on like he did when he was a little little boy. And at first he just is jumping in there so that he can experience something. But pretty soon he starts to realize like, wait a minute, like I could actually breed these people and actually make like community and make villages and make this and make that. So the the witch power <laughs> cultivation started yeah. out of that. Somewhere in there, he misses 50 years. Right. He doesn't know what happened. He can't remember anything about it. He had to figure out like what that was. But he misses 50 years of his life that he can't tell you anything about. Mm -hmm. But he just went around and he just started plucking people from, you know, various places. He just uh, describes them as, you know, sweet, ripe, sweet fruit. (laughs) And he's just, yeah. He's just getting who he needs and he's building his Doro people. And occasionally, you know, there would be somebody who was very fierce and strong and would feel that they could, you know, challenge him and he would just kill them. And there also became people who start to realize like they would end up being dead. They would end up being, you know, and they would just, they wouldn't leave him anyway. You know, so he just starts to build that godlike presence and starts his his whole thing. And so this is a reflection back into his own, you know, transition as he is witnessing Inweke's transition. And he has yeah. so much hope for her. Like she is super, super important, you know, and she's with Anyanwu and she is she is just having a hard time. And he's having a very, very, very hard time with his relationship with Anyanwu. And he's pretty much deciding that he's gonna kill her. Like yeah. that she is she is not worthy of, of anything. He's tired of her. He can't control her, even though she's just like kind of keeping to herself and doing everything he tells her to do. It's not enough. You know, I personally right. think he's he's missing the adoration. He's missing um, when she was his wife and she loved him how she was. And now she's just like, I'm just here because I have to be here. I'm not, I don't really care about you. And her power, I think all those things combined. So Nweke's having a horrible time, screaming and yelling, going through a transition, and Yanwu's with her, and Doro and Isaac are in the kitchen. And Doro is is hungry and eating some sweet cake, and Isaac is just pacing back and forth like a dad that he is. And Nweke considered Isaac like her father, called him dad, and he considers himself a father figure as well. Mm. And she really, really loved Isaac. So 
<laughs> Typical Doro, Isaac's completely worried, completely tuned in, completely giving energy. And Doro's like, ah, she'll be all right and eating cake. And Isaac's like, how can you even know that? And he's like, her blood is good. She'll be fine. And Isaac's like, well, my blood is good too. And I nearly died. Yeah. And then Doro's like, you're here. So that's really all you get from Doro. That's, that's all he can do around anything. Mm-hmm. So this starts a, a very kind of, to me, specific kind of journey for Isaac. You know, Isaac is is really where, well aware of like the limitations of his lifetime. Um, he's yeah. very, very aware of Doro and Nyanwu's battle. And he's very, very concerned. And so he starts to have this conversation how, like, you know, Nweke is the, you know, going to be the next Anyanwu. That's that's Doro's expectation. Yeah. And Isaac's just like, no, she's not enough. She's a beautiful, lively young girl. And after tonight, she'll be a powerful young girl. But you've said she'll keep some of her mind listening ability. And Isaac's idea is like, it will kill her eventually. Yeah. That everybody who has that mind listening thing dies young. And so he goes on this thing of trying to convince Doro that he really needs to keep Anyamu, that they're perfect yeah. for each other, that they can live such long amounts of time. And so even if they're going through a hard time, he's like, just let her go for a hundred years or so, you know, like she, she'll like meet her later, you know? And, mm. um, you know, there's the person, Anyeke, who also had the mind listening abilities and who never could bear children and who died. And so, you know, Isaac is just building this case. Like, even though you have everything wrapped up in this girl and you think this is going to be enough, like she's not going to, she's not Anyamu. She'll never be Anyamu and it's not going to work. Yeah. And Doro's like, I'm not going to take her from you. And Isaac is like, it doesn't matter. Like if you did, I wouldn't last long. We find out that Anyamu's basically been keeping Isaac alive, that he has a heart condition. And um, later we'll hear about Anyamu's journey with that. But he has a heart condition and she's been doing all of the, the medicine things that she does and all the discovery things that she does. And so he is really starting to like shape this conversation. He's just like, don't be alone. Yeah. Like you have never met anybody who can live this long. Like she's been alive for 300 years. She could live another 300 more years. And he's like, he's, she's exactly right for you. Not so powerful that you would have to worry about her yet powerful enough to take care of herself and others on her own. You might not see each other for years at a time, but as long as, as both of you are alive, neither of you will be alone. And this is Isaac just really jumping into like at the bottom line, Doro, you don't want to be alone. Like yes. you're, you know, all of this nastiness and everything, you're you got feelings. Yeah. You're like, why don't you just like admit you got feelings and keep this person around? So he's Doro is doesn't necessarily mean that he's moved, but you know, he talks to him about Thomas and why he killed Thomas. And mm. and Doro's like he he ran and he sided with her. And he had outlived his usefulness. And when he says that, he's kind of saying that to Isaac, like he's kind of giving him a little threat. And Isaac just calls him out and says, do you really think you have to do that? He asked quietly. He's like, I'm your son, not wild seed, not sick, not stranded, halfway through transition. I could never hate you or run from you no matter what you did. And I'm one of the few of your children who could have made a successful escape. Did you think I didn't know that? I'm here because I want to be. 
And then he mm. holds his, his hand out to Doro. And they kind of chill, you know. And this is like, you know, Doro's one of the few times that Doro has like a loving exchange with somebody that he actually really likes. Right. Like, you know, everybody else, he just is figuring out what he can say to make them do what he wants to do. But Isaac is the person, yeah. is the person he, he actually cares for. So they're going on and on and on with this. While they're having this whole conversation, the child is going through her transition. So yeah. there's all this sound and, and everything. And Isaac's just working away. Isaac's like, you know, you, you need to let her go. You need to let her be someplace else. Um, yeah. And, you know, why can't you just like let it happen? And he's also kind of like, let Nweke become whatever she can be. Like, if she's as good as you think she'll be, then you'll have two very valuable women. You'd be a damn fool to waste either of them. And we start to hear like now next level and Wake screaming is terrible. And Isaac is just like, oh God, I can't, you know, he's having a hard time. Yeah. And Dora was just like, yeah, her voice will be gone <laughs> soon at this rate. God. And then he starts to eat some more cake. He's like, do you have some more cake? And, oh um, and then there's, you know, the girl screams are, are drowned out. And Doro is in this like kind of state where he's, he's looking, Isaac is looking at him and he doesn't have very human eyes at this point. Mm. And he has like these cat eyes or he describes it as when you look in the eyes of cats, like it's just a, a weird situation. And he says, uh, when Anyamu was angry, she said Dora was only a man pretending to be a god, but she knew better. No man could frighten her. And Dora, whatever he had failed to accomplish with her, had taught her to fear him. And he had taught Isaac to fear for him. And so Isaac is really pushing, pushing, pushing. For whatever reason, it's like tonight is the night that he needs to seal this this thing and really, yeah. really strike. And I think he's very concerned that as soon as Nweke transitions, that he'll kill Anyanwu. So I think Isaac's adrenaline is that when this child transitions, Anyanwu will be, might be murdered. And <sighs> so he is like using this whole time while he's feeling the feelings of his daughter um, transitioning, mm. you know, and all of this like kind of pleading and working exhaust Isaac and there's just this sweet moment where Doro's like, you should, you should sleep and takes him into another room and asks Isaac, should he, should he sit with him? And Isaac's like, yeah. And you get, you get the thing of like, Isaac is an old man. Yeah. Like he doesn't really have time to be like doing all of this. Like this is really stressing him out. And he got the heart condition and, you know, he's worried that, you know, Anyang was going to get killed. So everything is, is going on for Isaac. The screaming begins again for a moment and it confuses Isaac because it's not the girl's voice. It's something else. And he suddenly realizes that it's Anyangwu. Yeah. And they go into the room and in uh, Nweke is just super, super powerful. Like she's, her transition is ending. But one of the things that happen is that she strikes out at Anyangwu. And when she does, it's like devastating. And so Isaac comes into the room. And when Isaac comes into the room, she strikes out at Isaac. She's trying to like kind of protect herself, but she is not 
she's not really in control of these like massive powers that <sighs> she's just had. So then she she does something to Isaac and then Isaac like responds like instinctively and then like just, you know, with his power uh, slams her up against the ceiling. And so she dies when she falls to the floor. She's broken. And so Isaac is out and Yamu is out and it is the disaster of a night nobody ever thought it would be. Yeah. And Doro is like all of Doro's plans, all of Doro's, like everything, it's over. It's over. And it's really devastating because Isaac is in, you know, not only does this child die, but then Isaac, that whole episode was way too much for him. And Doro is trying to wake up Anyamu so she can help Isaac and she's in she's in terrible shape and so he actually gets her up and she's asked for him to to pull her close to him and so she can be as close as possible to him and Anyamu says she um in Weke that she went mad her mind broke somehow Mm. and through her transition so she never really transitioned to a good place she wasn't that wasn't going to happen for her (sighs) and so when her mind went, she tried to break everything inside of Anyamu. She just was being torn, her heart, her lungs, her veins, her stomach, her bladder. And she says that she was like Anyamu and also like Isaac and maybe like um, Thomas too. Like that she just, she had gigantic ability that she just couldn't, she couldn't control. And that's what Doro had wanted, but that didn't work. And so she's trying to help Isaac. Anyamu uh, healed herself enough so that she could start to support him and she could start to to do something for him, but mm. it wasn't going to be enough. She was trying to figure out like how could she make herself fit enough to help Isaac, and she's reflecting on who <laughs> the wonderfulness that is Isaac, even though like in the context y'all know yeah. everything ain't wonderful. But yeah. she says he had been the best possible husband. With his powers and hers, they had built this house. People came to watch them and watch for them so no strangers happened by to see the witchcraft. Her strength had fascinated Isaac, but it had never disturbed him. His power, she trusted absolutely. She had seen him carry great logs from the forest and strip them of bark. She had seen him kill wolves without touching them. In a fight once, she had seen him kill a man, a fool who had drunk too much, and chosen to take offense at Isaac's quiet, easy refusal to be insulted. Um, The fool had a gun, and Isaac did not. Isaac never went armed. There was no need. The man died as the wolves had died instantly, his Mm. head broken and bloodied as though he had been bludgeoned. Afterward, Isaac himself was sickened, sickened by the killing. So that wasn't like his choice. It wasn't something he wanted to do, but if he had to... Um, she would. And so they are they are next to each other. She just goes on to talk about like how they didn't have these issues because they both knew they were breeders and that, that how that didn't actually break their bond or break their relationship. They understood the context of their lives. They were in balance. And she kisses Isaac and she had given him all of these kisses as he grew old. And they were more than love. She's like within her body, she had synthesized medicine for him. She had studied Mm -hmm. him very carefully 
and she had aged herself and her own organs to study the effects of age. And it was dangerous. If she had been wrong, she would have like actually killed herself. Mm. But that's how important he was. And because his his issues were in his heart, she really studied her own heart and did the manipulation of herself in order to figure out how to heal him. And then she figured it out. And this is why Isaac lived so long. He was so happy. You know, he took her out and he got her a dress and they went to New York City and they had a time. So, you know, this is, you know, maybe like the true love of her life, considering that she was 300 years old and had many husbands and and many, many children. So she risked her life to figure out how to keep him alive. And then Isaac comes to, and when he comes to, he's like, I dreamed I heard her. I thought I was, I, I thought I heard her. And Anyanwu tells them that she's sleeping on a bed. And then he just starts to tell her, you know, it's time for me to go. Like he says to her, you've had other husbands. He says, I'm old. My life has been long and full by ordinary standards, at least. He was in pain as he's talking to her and he asked her to lie by him and she does. And he says, you cannot know how I've loved you. And she says, with you, it has been as though I never had another husband. Truly in love. This Mm. is just terrible. It's what, you know, us regular folks have to go through. But Mm. what a devastating end. And he says to her before he dies, he's like, you must live. You must make your peace with Doro. And though that sickened her, she said nothing. He said, he will be your husband now. Bow your head, Anyawu. Live. And she said nothing. And he slips into unconsciousness and then to death. Mm. Chapter 9. Chapter 9. Chapter 9. Octavia. Mm-hmm. Things you do. So thank you for sharing all of that, Toshi. It's such a unexpected. I always felt like this was such an unexpected outcome for this chapter, even though I know that anything can happen. Um, mm-hmm. But that idea that, you know, they've come to this precipice where the children that they're breeding are beyond control, you know, beyond what can be controlled. And you know, I feel like it lays the groundwork for that argument to continue, <laughs> you know, of like, what are we mm-hmm. doing here? What are you doing? You know, you're creating children that can't survive. And I think it's so deep that we start off by being reminded that that's the family that he came from was a family in which children couldn't survive, that he was an anomaly. And yes, right. what was happening in that family, right? That like, whatever it was that led to his birth, you know, who knows if those other children also had all kinds of powers that they weren't surviving. And there's just a lot of of good mystery there um, from a narrative perspective. So a few questions that are related to Doro's early life that we learn about, because I think it's really important that we're, we hear about him in this way. Mm-hmm. Are you or any of the people in your life spirit children? Do you have this as a concept that you're familiar with? Have you read about it? (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. is that a belief that you have for yourself? And what does it mean to you to be such? Related but different, have you been through a transition of capacity? Come into some powers, come into some aspect of your soul in a different way. Have you had that kind of a transition? 
Yo. Speaking of like Saturn returns for people, Saturn <laughs> like returns, you know, moments of of like mysterious unfolding um, into your next self, you know, and turning forty. Yeah, you know, I actually think like kind of when I get to sevens, around sevens of every, you know, decade of my life, like yeah. there's just something that's that just I don't even try to make it happen; it just does. Something but, pops off around the sevens. Yeah, but the 40s getting in, like when you turn 39 and you're in your 40th like year. Yeah. All kinds of things like for singers, that's when your voice like gets mature. That's when you're like kind of grounded in your voice. Yeah. And I think all your superpowers meld up nicely and you start to really feel like you can do something with them. You're like, I know who I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You start to feel, you know, like you've accumulated something and then you're ready to, to spend it. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think about that in my life, that there's been these moments of transition. And in, in the midst of them, I often felt like I was in a depression or just really lost or really overwhelmed. And I was like, yes, you're shedding a skin. So mm. it does feel like a loss. You know, you're losing something. But it's in order to make way for that next iteration. And I feel so much empathy with this because in this, that transformation, there's no guarantee that you're going to survive it. You know, like mm-hmm. the first transition that Dora went through took out everyone that he had known, everything that he had known. And that's right. So, which leads me to my next set of questions, which is like, what does hearing this backstory do for you um, related to Doro, right? Does it change how you view him? Can you imagine justice for a being like Doro who started off in this way? You know, was there ever a chance for something else to happen? Can you imagine forgiveness for that first rampage of death or for the kind of death that Doro practices? Can you feel empathy for him having heard his story? Mm. Right? I always wonder if we're supposed to, you know, like if we're supposed to think of him as someone who needs healing or someone to eradicate or something of both. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's it's it's interesting because it's even if you think about him, he's not a human. He's something that can occupy human bodies. Yeah. Right, and then he's so the closest thing that people think about is like a god or yeah. a spirit. You know, are they are they beyond empathy? Like yes. You know, especially when you're thinking about, uh, you know, the Orisha, which have such strong background stories, like you can really learn about their journeys and what shaped them into the gods that they are. Yes. And then have your conversations like with those. I don't know. Doro. Yeah. I mean, I think when he was, I I always think about Keith and. um, Yes. (laughs) And I think about, you know, Marcus. Because mm-hmm. I think about like that's he's around their age when this first happens. Yeah. And so I'm, I always think like I, I think I've said this before, like, yeah, I had empathy for both of them, you know, and parable, yes. you know, they were just like horrible. I was like, you know, At but least initially because, I was able to access that. Yeah. 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 I mean, once once Marcus gets uh, gets good and grown and he can't do nothing, then you just start to be like, oh, he's so messed up. But at the time when you <laughs> get close to like what he survived to even get someplace, you're just like, OK, he 
he's not in his right mind and that's actually appropriate for what he has lived, you know? That's right. I mean, I think that this is, I, I feel like part of why I'm so interested in this question or set of questions around Doro is like, whenever we're having a conversation about abolition and we're having a conversation about these systems changing, the question people always bring is like, well, what about the truly evil people? You know, what about the mm -hmm. ones who they don't feel any regret for what they do? They're sociopaths, they're psychopaths, they're disconnected from that human impulse to care and to be able to be connected, you know, and it's the tiniest percentage of our species. Although, you know, we could argue it's the entire death cult of <laughs> the U.S. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 both <laughs> and it's operating at both scales, <laughs> you know. So it makes me interested then when I come across a character like Dora where I'm like, uh, is there any saving him? And I remember, right. you know, the first time being asked that question, I come back to it often is like, did Anyanwu try to heal Doro? And what would that healing have looked like? You know, like, was there any way to heal someone like Doro with his power slash affliction uh, mm. being death, you know? Ooh. I mean, I think he has such a, <laughs> I think he can't accept whatever the time and space it is to be healed because he has, he's not very emotional. Like he, his range yeah. is so limited. It's like. Well, and I do think it's also because he's lived so long and lost so much. Yeah. I feel like for him to access healing, he would have to surrender the power of his immortality. Like he would have yeah. to give up his gift. And, you know, I, I'm, I can see in, in him that it's like that has no, he has no interest in that. Like he's like, I right. want to continue forever and I want to create peers and family and people who will last forever. And I want to be completely in control of that. And there's nothing that I'm seeing around me that would convince me otherwise. Yep. Yeah. I think there's an interesting question or an interesting provocation in that for those of us who are living right now inside of capitalism, because it's like, you know, there's something that feels like, oh, we can have anything we want. You know, we can do anything we want. But it's mm -hmm. like, at what cost? And would we be willing to give up that what seems like total privilege uh, for right. the sake of actually healing the relationship we have with each other and the planet? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, Tell it. Yeah. I'm like, yes. Doro is capitalism. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so then, Ugh. you know, so Isaac is here. You know, back in the in the present moment of the story, Isaac is there making the case for Anyanwu's life and trying to argue with God, argue with the God of, of their world about saving the God of his, you know, the person who's keeping mm -hmm. him alive, creating possibility for his life. And this is such a fascinating scene to me. I mean, the way Octavia's mind works to end up in this scenario in which the son is fighting with the father that his wife would be accepted as a wife of the father mm -hmm. um, forevermore. And, you know, there's just all kinds of interesting transgressive writing happening here, which I just am like, oh, freaky Octavia. You know, you just really were like out there pushing all these boxes open and just being like, well, what would happen if I knock this one over? There's just so much that she's pushing around here. But one of the things she's doing is also widening how we can experience Isaac. 
And so I have some questions here for how you experience Isaac. You know, we met Isaac as this white man who was engaged in the slave trade with his father, Doro, um, and is one of the powerhouses who helps Doro gather the people, bring them home, get them under control. We've seen Isaac have awful conversations with Doro early mm-hmm. in the journey of having Anyanwu around. And now we see that Isaac is fighting for her life, fighting for her to be kept alive, fighting for Doro to respect and honor her. Can you understand or could you understand Isaac's behavior in this chapter as rooted in love? And if it's rooted in love, who does he love? Does he love Doro? Does he love Anyanwu? Do you trust the love? Mm. Is it possible to love in these conditions of power and manipulation? Yeah. Hoo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Do you think he loves her? I mean, I think he absolutely loves Anyanwu. I think he yeah. um I think they fall in love really deeply. You know, she yeah. didn't give us their whole entire love story. But as he's dying, when she's because we know Anyanwu is we know her counts everything. And she's like when she says you know, she doesn't feel like she's ever she's had any other husband. Yeah. Like, it's the greatest honor because she, even the husband she didn't like, she's like, that was my husband, that was my husband. Yes. And it was um her first husband that she adored. And then after that, it was just like some okay or not great people. Yeah. So I think that they've, they definitely found love with each other. And I think they also figured out how to navigate that they were breeders, that they were, yeah. you know, like there was some, I would not call it ease because we know that Anyanwu didn't like it at all. Yeah. And considered her herself enslaved yes. and just, you know, did what she had to do with what she had to do with. But yeah, I think they, they loved each other deeply and that they aligned and that, you know, all of the horribleness. I, I don't know that she was aware of how he was talking about her. Yeah. Anyway. But I think there's a couple of, of points where, you know, at very early on, and not that he should get any prizes for this, but very early on where he would like speak to her in a certain kind of way and then realize it wasn't right. You know, yes. he like, I mean this, and you know, no, I didn't mean that. And he tr- and he tries to get himself together. Um, so I just assume that within what Octavia wrote, they aligned beautifully, had a, had a life together, were in harmony, the, the flying as birds and and a a man in the sky and watching out for each other and and protecting each other and definitely towards the end of his life he is he is doing his best he is just really trying to use all of the the magic on his dad and get him to not kill Anyawu. yeah i think you're right i i feel the complexity inside of this relationship that they've kept each other alive in these conditions and they have made mm-hmm. life more bearable as enslaved mm-hmm. people. And I think that they have a deep respect, like that deep companionship level respect, where it's just like, I walk next to you, you know, like I'm yeah. not ahead of or behind you. Yeah, um, yeah I love that. <laughs> so, you know, she's keeping him alive. And it makes me want to ask this question to any of you is just who are the people in your life right now that you would keep alive in perpetuity? Like if you had that power, <laughs> if you could do it, 
Um, you know, where you're just sort of like, yeah. Uh, you know, this made me have like some beautiful thoughts of people that I've lost that I'm like, if I had it, if I had oh. had this power, you know, and I could give them another oh. year, another day, uh, you know, I'm like, wow, it just, I don't know, sitting and really thinking about the people in my life that I would do this for made the power come to life for me in a different mm. way where it's like, can you imagine what she's doing here, that she is making her own body go through aging and go through this near-death mm. experience in order, because she loves him so, that she's like, I, I want to understand everything I can about how to heal you. And my kiss will be that healing. I mean, it's just mm. magnificent. And so <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my God, there's so many people that I wish I could kiss and keep alive forever. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> so just sit with that one for a little bit. You know, mm. let your ghosts and ancestors come dance around you with that same wish. Yeah. And, you know, just feel the sweetness of it. And this last piece I want to share, it's not really a question, but it's just an, an offering that this metaphor of Anyanwu's power, that she has to learn it within herself. Um, she has mm -hmm. to heal it within herself to be able to even possibly generate that healing for someone else. You know, it feels like the embodiment of that idea from Grace Lee Boggs that we must transform ourselves to transform the world or be that oh, change shit. you know it's really that work and i just i want to make sure we take time with the lesson of it that there's a way that we must look within ourselves for what is broken what is wounded what is hurting we must be willing to notice that wound mm -hmm. feel that wound um mm -hmm. in order to begin the healing process so you know channel your anyanwu open channel yourself your to that wisdom wisdom of hers uh that's so cool because imagine the things that wouldn't happen if the actual process was that you had to do it first before you asked anybody else to do it. Exactly. You know, they'd just exactly. be like, you know what? We're not going to have war today. We're, <laughs> we're going to play dominoes no. in the park and drink tea and work we're out our problems. try this out a different way. <laughs> you know, I really think this, like, I, I feel like I learned this very early in my life the hard way. Mm. That you can't teach and you can't practice, you know, what you haven't felt and practiced, you know, mm -hmm. and that people will try to get you, you know, <laughs> to practice all That's kinds right. of stuff or do all, you know, a, a capitalism is always making us overreach um, and oversell, <laughs> you know, where we are in our, in our journeys. But I love for this piece with Anyanu that it's so tangible. Yeah. It's such a tangible thing. And I, I really, I mean, I can't emphasize enough. I feel like this is what I'm trying to do in my abolitionist practice is really right. look within myself at where guilty and, and innocent sit and look within myself at what wants punishment and look within myself at those shadows. And, you know, <laughs> we're in that eclipse season. We're in that season of looking yeah. at our shadows collectively and individually. But I think the healing work is there. So... Yeah. <laughs> mm. Here we are. Octavia's Parables is hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, and my beloved friend, Toshi Regan. Our producer is another beloved friend, Kat Aaron. Our show art is from the genius, Krista Franklin. We are transcribed by the dedicated and loyal Jess Pinkham. You can find us on Twitter at OParables. You can support us at patreon.com slash OParables. And transcripts for all episodes live at readingoctavia.com. Music for Octavia's Parables is You Don't Know the Time, recorded 
and written by Toshi Regan and the Silver Song um, written by Bernice Johnson Regan and performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, Memorial Hall, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. <laughs> gang, gang. <laughs> <laughs> See y'all. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her 